You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So before I bring my guest on today, I'm going to give you a little bit of background as this episode is going to get into some of the finer points of employees' rights under the National Labor Relations Act. For most employees and even management who are not familiar with the National Labor Relations Act, labor law can oftentimes be confusing. There's a lot of nuances to it, as well as case precedent, case law, etc., that oftentimes people are unaware of unless it hits them personally or it's explained in greater detail. And when we talk about employees' Section 7 rights, which include the right to form, join, or assist labor organizations, as well as the employee's right to choose representatives of their own choosing, which may or may not be a union, oftentimes the right to refrain from any or all of those activities gets Overlooked, and that is part of their Section 7 rights under federal law. Well, one of the rights under the National Labor Relations Act that employees have is something that is commonly referred to as Beck rights. And to give you a little background, way back in 1988, the United States Supreme Court ruled in favor of a telephone lineman by the name of Harry Beck, who opposed the union representing representing him from using his union dues for political causes he did not agree with. And obviously you know that unions are political. Now, the union involved happened to be the Communication Workers of America, which was the union that I was a member of at the time, as well as a representative and as well as a host of other titles. I remembered when that ruling came out, because I also happened to be the editor of the union's newsletter, and I remember the CWA headquarters sending us information about the case at the union hall to include in our local newsletters to members. Now, Harry Beck was represented by the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, and institutionally speaking, to unions, the Beck decision was a big effing deal, to quote Joe Biden. However, because Arizona is a right-to-work state, and it was back then as well, to us, the Beck decision didn't have an impact because we were in a right-to-work state. You see, Beck rights really have an impact on unions and individuals in states without right-to-work laws, where unions can have workers fired for refusing to pay a union its dues or fees. So what the Supreme Court ruling did is it allowed workers who are forced to pay a union as a condition of employment to refrain from paying for a union's politics. And as I said, as everyone knows, unions today are very politically active. Well, under Beck, based on the U.S. Constitution, a person should not be required to pay a union to use dues for political causes the person objects to. Thus, they become known as a Beck objector. Now, again, that ruling came out in 1988, 35 years ago. And all these years later, I find it surprising that today we still see unions violating individuals' rights under the Beck decision. 
So joining me today is Brunelda Vargas, a public defender who is an attorney, but not a labor attorney. And she is an individual who had to seek help from the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation to get the United Auto Workers to respect her rights. I'm going to include some links about her story under the audio portion of this episode, but I thought this would be a good opportunity to get into a little known nuance or right that workers have who are forced to pay a union at their jobs or quit or be fired. So without further ado, here's Bruni Vargas. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Brunilda Vargas, welcome to Labor Relations Radio, and it is an honor to have you on. It's an honor to be here, <laughs> and this is my first time doing one of these. <laughs> well, the uh, the topic that we're covering, it's really good that you're actually an attorney, but not a labor attorney. Correct. And so do you mind telling the listeners about yourself and, and what it is that you do and then what you were involved with recently? Um, well, actually, I would be a public defender. I'm a public defender, so my work is mostly uh, criminal. Um, that's most of my experience. So when this happened, uh, the attorneys in my office, uh, my office has a lot of other people, but the attorneys in my office decided to unionize. Um, I uh, personally, I thought that was a bit odd since one of our core jobs as an attorney is to advocate. So, I didn't think uh, professional staff should even be part of a union, especially those trained in advocacy. I didn't understand why I would need a third party, and we're rep- and uh, it's the United Auto Workers would have anything to do with public defense work and the kind of work that is. And if to represent an attorney in negotiations, I would have preferred a choice. Uh, that maybe you can negotiate for yourself or a group of attorneys can have that discussion and approach the employer as opposed to bringing a third party that I thought did not have, maybe there it's labor law. I understand that. But I think as attorneys, especially many of us, we can actually read and consult and, and figure it out without having to have a third party Uh, come in from the outside and forcing attorneys to join. I mean, as an attorney, I represent people. I would, you know what I mean? And uh, and it's different when you are poor, when your choices are limited. And I understand that. And and I'm pretty sure, and that's the different circumstances. That's a very totally different circumstance than me choosing to have an agent represent me in, in negotiations with my employer. Well, let me ask you, Section 7, National Labor Relations Act, entitles employees, which you are, to not only have a third-party representative, but you do have the right to represent yourselves. Correct. You know, it's because it says through representatives right. of their own choosing. Did somebody go out and look for the UAW? My understanding is other unions declined, and this one was very readily able to want the job. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And and nobody considered doing it yourselves other than you? I did. Right, other than you? Did. <laughs> yes. So this was a while back. Um, yes, and I think in 2019 they decided to do this. 
Okay. And, and you have a contract now. Correct. Is it a good contract or bad contract or just meh? I don't think the the contract, if I were to look at and I did look at it, um, a lot of what the contract supplied, we already got. Hmm. So a lot like benefits, uh, I mean, we get great benefits at our office. So a lot of what the contract already put in, we did. The only thing I did notice was an increase in salary uh, at, you know, depending on your years um, would be the only thing I noticed uh, that was of a consequence, a real an impact. The rest of the items that I saw there we already received the substantial items. They were not much addition. They may have gotten a couple little perks here and there that were not consequential to, were not of consequence to pay for. It was not consequential. The substantive part is always benefits and salary. The salary, I agree, was an increase, um, but the benefits was remained basically the same. Do you, do you recall how long it took to negotiate the contract? My understanding is the contract was uh, they did in 2019, but then the shutdown with the COVID right. occurred. Um, so I think that stalled a lot of stuff. And then I know it was ratified in, I believe, uh, in 20, I know it was in 2022. So the contract oh, was so close was to three done. years. Yes. So I just did a post recently because there's, um, and I'm, I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but you mentioned wage increases. And there's a CNN article recently about all these union contracts getting double-digit wage increases. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't cover the fact that a lot of these double-digit increases are making up for the time that over the last three to four years when they were negotiated prior to the pandemic, you've got the labor shortage. And so a lot of the contracts we're seeing today are playing catch-up from the last three years. And I'm curious as to whether or not your contract would have, and this is speculation on your part, but whether or not it would have actually been, you know, because of labor shortages, the inability to hire people, if you would have gotten those increases anyway. That, that I agree. We wouldn't know that unless we try because, and, 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 and it, and to want to keep talent and to keep um, the, the better, the trial attorneys, I, I think that the office, um, might have, but I would never know now because this this third party came in and and you're right took advantage of that the labor shortage and uh, I would agree I would never know what would have happened but I agree with you that I think we might have done this about the same I would be my guess but I didn't get a chance <laughs> right Thank well you. so so that kind of comes to where you are now you you recently testified before the house. Committee on Education and the Workforce, uh, Virginia Fox's committee. And that was over a fight that you had to fight and win um, over the union taking union dues from you. Correct. And and forcing membership. Right. Because Pennsylvania is not a right-to-work state. Correct. Which allows unions to have employees fired for failure to pay union fees. Correct. Correct. So, so what happened in your case? In my case, when they the when the talk of the unions and the continue when they actually did vote to unionize, um, the first thing that happened is uh, my colleagues uh, were told, "You don't have a choice. 
were actually told us, you do not have a choice. You have to join if you want to keep a job. So that's membership. Then they were told, if you don't join, you won't keep your job. And if you don't pay, you won't keep your job. So a lot of, and then they were distributed these uh, dues deductions cards that if you read them carefully was addressed to membership, which I made it perfectly clear I was never going to join. And um, and so did a couple of my colleagues, several colleagues, the same position. So, and some people left the office to not join. They actually left the job. Um, uh, and then what I found is that when you read the dues deduction cards in fine print, like you would need the eyes of an, an eagle to read, it was addressed to membership and it, it was a dues deduction card and it was very the onus, the burden was on you to try to get out of it. Like you would have to do all these sorts, go through all these obstacles to get out of them garnishing that money. And so it was easy to sign in, just your signature, but then it would take notice. You have to notify them like a week. You have to go through all these steps to get out of it. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. So when they kept insisting and insisting, and, uh, and we decided we were going to do a Beck. We learned of Beck from the Right to Work Foundation. They had so many articles, and Byron Andrus, who is staff attorney there, sent me all the paperwork, explained to me uh, Beck. I got um, was able to read about Beck, go through Beck, and then I learned that apparently we were the first in the region, according to what I was told, informed my understanding to even raise Beck. So, um, and then I had to read this about security clause agreements and what they mean, which is the state of Pennsylvania, and that there was never such a thing as a closed shop. People were told in my office, this is going to not be, this will be a closed shop. That doesn't even exist. And these, these are lawyers telling other lawyers that this was a closed shop. So you just covered a whole bunch of stuff yes. that would be worthwhile for the listeners who are not familiar with this. Um, we have first big issue. Pennsylvania is not a right to work state. Correct. The union was basically telling you, you have to join the union. And this is where it gets for a lot of workers out there. You have to really parse this out for them. Okay. So under under a union security agreement, which often states within 30 days or 60 days or whatever, all employees covered by this collective bargaining agreement must become and remain members in good standing of the union. Workers often think that that they have to be card-carrying members, but they don't under federal law. They can be required to pay as agency fee payers, but not not necessarily have to be card-carrying members. Yes. So you you weren't going to do that, period. Correct. Correct. And then when you refer to Beck, what you're talking about is a Supreme Court case called Communication Workers of America versus Beck, which is Correct. Harry Beck, an old, I think he was AT&T, might have been Pac Bell lineman, that back in 1989 fought the CWA in them taking out full dues. Correct. So as a worker, if you're not a dues a, a card-carrying member paying union dues, full dues, you can resign membership, write a letter to the union, and say you want to become a Beck objector. Correct. 
Okay, so that's what you did. Yes, well, you I didn't actually. I didn't resign the union. I never yeah. joined. I declared right. that I will not be associated with any of you. I did not want the association of my name with that union or any representation. So I made that clear that even though I was forced to be represented by these people, I did not want to be a member or be known as ever being a member. So that I was clear on. Then when I raised the back objection, which you're correct, it's it, it, it really deals with the security clause that they put in the contract because once they have a contract, you have to pay an agency fee that comes uh, um, because I did not want to be a member. Um, and so when I raised the Beck objection, which again, they put it on you to figure this out. So you have to figure this out. Uh, we filed our Beck objection and we have to file it every year, which I disagree with because once I claim an objection, I shouldn't have to refile the objection every year. Right. And I don't, and that's, but that's international and it's par for the course. It's as I say to people, that's not a hill to die on. It's not a big issue to me to send them a letter. So the next thing I did was when we filed was then the responsibility falls to the union to give us the agency fee calculation. International did comply and gave us within a reasonable period of time, the breakdown, the audit was given to us, um, which you're entitled to, and you're entitled to get a breakdown. And the theory is that you're not supposed to pay for political expenditures or anything not related to collective bargaining and administrative costs. Um, whether I agree with how they break things down, that's another time. <laughs> but they state that it was 0.83%. The rate that our, the membership in my office have to pay is 1.44%. Um, so as agency members, we pay less. But I am not a mathematician, so I don't know how they calculate these things. But it is the union's was our local union's responsibility to supply us with the actual figure. Instead, they kept insisting the entire time to sign that card until it culminated into a threat of we're going to take back your raises. And uh, and, oh, and and and, um, they threatened our employment. They threatened to get the boss involved, the employer involved. But the employer was very good and adept in handling this because the employer remained out. They they understood and were clear that this was a union issue and the union must solve it. It was not. And so we were very fortunate that our employer was very good. So and I'll, I'll give uh, our friends over at the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation uh, a plug here because yes, you, reached, you reached out to them. They provided help with all of this stuff. Correct. They really did. And... So you had to file charges with the National Labor Relations Board. Correct. And that was against the union local or was that the international? It was against the local chapter. Okay. Um, And it was only after we got, and we got a favorable rate uh, ruling within 30 days. So they were very fast. They gave us the ruling um, and then we negotiated. uh, I threw Byron because uh, they have to do the postings. And uh, we wanted an email blast because I wanted to make sure everybody got the uh, notice. And because uh, you could pass by a board on a wall and not even look at it. No, I wanted it in their emails. So um, 
that was achieved. The union agreed. They settled. So we settled out. We did not have to go to trial. And we've been paying agency fees since then. Is, I, I assume when you say we, it's not just you. It's There's just a, me. I was the filing party, but there were other people who were uh, on the same boat I was, and we all connected with each other. And so, um, but like I said, this is not, and, and what I realized was the, it, there's a couple of us lawyers or several lawyers involved. So we're all reading this stuff. We're all talking to each other. We're all, and the next thing, you know, we're saying, can you imagine this is interfering with our work? We have work to do. We have things to do. This has a level of stress. Some of my colleagues were very stressed out over this. Um, and we have all this work to do and we have to deal with this on top of the job we do. And I said, I can't imagine a layperson. I cannot imagine a lay person having to work get and and now you have one boss and now you end up with two and now you have to have you have the privilege of paying your them to work there so I, now i got to pay these people for the privilege of doing the work i do well i re- i read your house testimony mm-hmm. and that was that's a pretty important point because you are attorneys correct and most workers who are stuck in this are not and they have to figure it out for themselves or go to somebody like the National Right to Work Foundation, et cetera, right. and get the help. And a lot of people don't even know that. And, right. you know, which is kind of the reason I went through, you know, union agency fees versus dues and membership and stuff. Right. A lot of workers don't understand. They do have other legal rights as opposed to just being a card-carrying member. Yeah, they're nuances. They're very right. And then they... They have they the union has an obligation to advise you. They do not. They do right. not. I wasn't. I wasn't advised. I was told the you know my colleagues. For me personally, they stayed away from me and ignored me and didn't want to deal with me, um, and was hoping I would go away. Um, and uh, it would have been better if they just excluded me from this whole thing and this we wouldn't be here. But but. They uh, and for other colleagues, they didn't even give them a dues deduction card. They didn't contact them at all, like as if we know how you feel. Therefore, why bother even talking to you? We know you don't like unions. We know you don't want to do this. So we're not even going to include you um, Hmm. in the process whatsoever. So I had one colleague who didn't even have a letter. And I didn't get any emails. This was before the election. This is after they be after they had a contract. Oh, okay. Before the election, I, I, I they I wasn't bothered by them. They did bother some of my colleagues. Uh, you know, you need to vote or blah blah blah. They did kind of do that, but after the contract was achieved, uh, some of us were not contacted at all, and all hmm. that was left. And remember, this is during the shutdown. Many of us are working remotely or on site elsewhere. They would place, uh, 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 for me personally, they left a card on my desk. They just dropped it off, a card with nothing. And then another colleague didn't even get that, didn't get that. And then the other, my other colleagues were told, no, you have to do this. So we didn't even get included in it. We didn't even get the, we nothing. We were like, oh, well, you know, I guess they assumed we know your position. Therefore, we won't, we won't even talk to you. We won't even talk to you. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned they had threatened your job. Correct. During this whole process. Who was it 
And uh, you don't need to name names, but was it an officer oh, of the union? It's on public record. It was married, and we have multiple emails. It was the local chapter president. Oh, okay. So it was an agent. To Mary Hennon. That was the name. Yeah. Okay. So that it was a bona fide agent of the union. The threat. Yes, it was an attorney in our office. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Yes. So yeah, and and we supplied all these emails to the NLRB. Um, and we got a very quick resolution. So I'm very grateful to how they resolved this. Oh, good. So what is the climate like now in the office? For me personally, I guess because of my age in the office, me personally, it hasn't affected me one way or the other. Um, they don't mess but, with you. What? They don't mess with you. No. Well, we look at the work we do. I mean, right. no. <laughs> Um, I've had tougher people than them to deal with. Um, but I, and I don't know since I'm off site cause now currently I'm assigned to the civil division. So I deal, uh, with mentally ill patients, um, and because of my age in the office being there so long, but my understanding is some people love it and there are others who are quiet that are not happy, but I am hearing they're very unhappy with this. Um, but they didn't, the, they, the lawyers, didn't think they had a choice. It's, it's not our milieu, so it's not something, you know, and I think most people believe that. Uh, like, there's no choice. Like, uh, the unions did so well PRing for themselves that they're, that they're thought of as a good thing, and they're thought of as we're here to help, and without us, you can't ever do any better. You need us. And so most people come with the concept, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. And uh, and until they get caught up in it, they realize this is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, what I always believed with unions. I used to take, I said, you know, you have one boss. Now you got two. And the other thing is, no, they're supposed to pay you to work there, not the other way around. You don't get to pay anybody to, to have the privilege of working there. You should be able to work there. There shouldn't be right. a guard at the door saying, if you don't join, you can't come and work here. I, it's disgusting to me. And um, and there shouldn't. And I understand that, uh, you know, there, there may be some benefit to joining a union, but that's up to the individual to decide. Let the well, individual that's... decide if, if they did a better job than I do negotiating, then they'll get paid. You know, that, it's just that simple. Let the individual decide, is it worth it to me? that they represent me. Yeah. I mentioned this briefly before I hit the record button, mm -hmm. you know, as a former union rep in a right to work state, I kind of looked at this as, you know, back when I was a union rep, it's a business and you can't force people to join. So the better job you do, the more inclined they will be, will be to join. Correct. And, Correct. you know, it's, it's that old debate about force compulsion versus volunteerism. Correct. And I think it should be voluntary. The, the person should volunteer, the individual, and the better the union is, they'll come in in droves. Um, right. What I'm seeing that I've been seeing for years is that there's a partnership between the union and its collection agency. And, I, and the dues deduction card is a problem because if the membership said, we will join, but we will not sign these dues deduction cards, then the membership holds leverage. Because now they can send the check out every month. 
And then if they see something hinky or they're not satisfied, then as a group withhold that money and use it as a leverage. But the dues deduction card makes a cozy relationship between the employer and the union, and the union doesn't have to deal with you. It's garnishing your wage. It's garnishment. They have garnished your wages. Uh, they don't have to listen to you at all. And it takes you forever to get out of that. Yeah, that raises a very interesting point because in the old days, there was no such thing as dues deduction. It used to be you pay the union every week right. or every month or you had your dues book. You know, you'd have to present the book and they would stamp the book when you paid your dues. And you have leverage if as a group you're dissatisfied, you have now you have leverage because you've got the money. You're the money. You're the bank. You're the one that makes everything work. Right. The other way is uh, it's too, you're, you're a surf at this point. <laughs> Yeah. So let me ask you the, um, has anybody ever talked to you about UD petitions? No. So the union had an election. They filed what's called an RC petition, a a decertification petition is an RD petition, but then there's this little petition that a lot of people don't know about, which is called a UD petition. And I think I had uh, Glenn Taubman from the national right to work foundation is that on deauthorization is that to deauthorize yes. them yes deauthorization from having the dues the required dues in the contract yes and that takes again the burden on the people to yeah. get everybody educated to have instead of the best way would have been if they were informed in the first place we wouldn't have to deauthorize them right yeah yeah. That, okay. That so you know about that. Yes, I do. I do know about deauthorization. It's actually, I think, quicker than decertification because the union yeah. is still there. It's a better. It's like always. The money is the way to get them um, either to act right or to go away. Right. Well, at a deauthorization, you can have it any time. It's mm-hmm. you still have to have a majority of the majority. unit in that case. Yeah. To vote to deauthorize it, but it, all it does is it removes the force union payments yes. out of the contract. Yep. And I think that they rely on the people having the convenience, the convenience of not having to send a check, the convenience of not having to deal with that. And that's what they rely on. Like, this is easier for you. You don't have to worry about uh, sending a check out. You don't have to worry about these things. And, and, and there comes a lot when it comes to representation especially when it comes to money and benefits, it doesn't matter. The convenience should be a non-issue. You should want to send the check out every month because this has to do with very important matters to the individual, your benefits, your pensions, your salaries. So there is no convenience. And and I think they get a, a lot of people have fallen into the do. It's almost like a, it's so common. It's a habit. They just sign these cards and no one's reading them. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that's how I became a union member almost 40 <laughs> years ago is somebody handed me a card and I signed up. Yes. So did not even know what a union was. Yes. And it's unfair. Um, and not to knock them, but I guess you know what my position is on unions. <laughs> well, I oftentimes say to people, if you feel that you can't speak for yourself, if you work for an employer that's just a lousy employer, then unions are sometimes necessary. But- I agree. I agree. And, I, and I'm not saying they're not, but the union, the individual should decide if it's yeah. that they'll know what's best for them. They'll know what's best. 
if they're told the truth, if they're informed. But if they're right. not told and it's skewed, the information is skewed, then you're just leading them to something that benefits not the individual, but the system itself. Right. Right. Well, so any future plans or or you're just happy to not have to pay full dues? Um, I'm happy not to pay full dues. I'm happy. I'm happy not to be called a UAW member. Um, that was my whole goal. I, I like I said, I, I went to law school. I went all this work. I worked for almost 30 years as an attorney. You get to get your license. You have to do continuing legal education. You have to deal with a lot of stuff. And I did not want to be represented by a third party. Uh, uh, I firmly believe that that as lawyers, see, we can find information, we can figure Mm -hmm. it out, and we can contact experts in the field and maneuver. And that's that's why I felt so horrible for people that are not in that position. Um, uh, Because in my job as, as a public defender, I do not like people that have less or did not have the same experience as I have to be taken advantage of just because they have lack knowledge. I like to ha- I like them fully informed. And then I respect the decision they make. I don't have to agree with it, but I do respect the decision they make. Yeah. That's my position dealing with, yeah. with employees, with unions. It's like, yes. you know, as long as you know what the information is and, and know the it's possibilities. Your it's your yeah. call. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to skew it and lead them one way or the other. Right. Well, Bernilda Vargas, thank you so much for coming on Labor Relations Radio. It's an enjoyable discussion. Thank you for having me. So that was Brunelda Vargas, a public defender and a person willing to stand up and fight for her own rights and the rights of her co-workers against a union that wanted to have them fired for not paying full union dues, something that's been unlawful since 1988. In any case, I'm going to leave some links under the audio portion of this episode, as well as uh, links to the National Right to Work Foundation, some information about Beck rights, etc. And that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Wash my sins away. Whoa, black cream, take me to that place. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.